Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Hi again. We're both finally back in our official recording studio again with Dan Rigger. All of us are, of course, at least six feet apart, and we're being extra cautious because we're all of a certain age. Today we decided it's time to talk about menopause once again. Our last episode was our conversation with Dr. David Zava, who's a biochemist and founder of ZRT Laboratory here in Beaverton, Oregon. And that episode was actually recorded prior to the onset of COVID-19. I just re-listened to it yesterday when I was out in the garden at the beach, and I was pretty amazed at how much stress we were all under prior to the pandemic, totally turning our lives upside down. We kept talking about climate change and political unrest, and we haven't even had to deal with the daily reports related to COVID and, of course, all the increased political unrest after the death of George Floyd. So at some point, we promise to fully tackle stress and cortisol and how we respond to it in a future episode. But today, we thought it would be fun to go back to what we call our roots, so to speak, and talk about menopause, because that's how Candace and I each became so passionate about learning about hormones and how they affect our daily lives. So some of this may be a review, but that's great, because this is something we see every day in our lives as practitioner and health educator. In, his, in the podcast that I mentioned before, Dr. Zava talked about how hormonal changes linked to menopause can actually start at around age 35, which is a little shocking, actually, when you think about it. No kidding. And, and this is from a researcher who has looked at hundreds of thousands of hormone test results. And he stated that it can last for about 20 years, those hormonal changes. So let's dive into what happens when we get into perimenopause and ultimately menopause, and what can we do to improve the quality of our lives? I think we should start, Candace. what do you think? Maybe some definitions of some terms? Yeah, and I just wanted to say that um, we had, uh, I had suggested to you that we talk about menopause because I thought it was Menopause Awareness Month in September. It will be in October this year. Yeah, and did you see that the day, Menopause Day is actually October 18th? No, I didn't realize that. I saw that. Isn't that fun? National Menopause Day. Yeah, I saw that when I was was reviewing for this episode today. I was looking at that article in Oprah from uh, October of 2019, Mm -hmm. and they mentioned it. So I Googled it to see what what day is it this year. So I think we need to have a special little celebration of Menopause Day. I think maybe we can record a session that day. But, you know, I was talking to my daughter this morning about podcasts on menopause, and she, she said there are precious few. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we do want to talk about menopause as often as we can. If it's not Menopause Awareness Month, then let's t- let's make it what to expect when expecting menopause. I know. Ho- I'm so, I'm actually really surprised. I think I told you, Kyle, at the number of women I talked to who tell me just yesterday even, I don't know if I'm in menopause. I know. A lot of women don't know if they're in menopause. And, and some of the confusing terms, you know, perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. I know. 
Um, what's the difference? Well, so when, when does menopause end? When does th- menopause end? Does it end? So, so these go. questions are confusing. So to talk about some of the terms, let's just, you know, Dr. Zava was saying it can last 20, 20 years and uh, it can start at 35. And what he's really talking about is that that transition, which yeah. we used to call the change. And it's, you know, it's it's harder for women that have a lot of stress, you know, good good or bad, but all always piling on, accumulating. And those are the women who, when they hit, uh, actually, when I worked at ZRT all those years, we did see a lot of test results in younger women in their late 30s starting to go into perimenopausal changes, those roller coaster fluctuations in hormones. That's what the perimenopause is all about. It's ne- It means nearing menopause. And in the lead up, ovulation becomes more erratic. So hormone production becomes less reliable, mm-hmm. um, especially when progesterone is made primarily upon ovulation. If you're not right. ovulating every cycle, then you're not going to make as much progesterone. We've talked about how that can lead to estrogen dominance, that lack of progesterone. So, And also, or you get fluctuations up and down, right. back and forth, and that's when you start to feel like you're on the roller coaster. And we do see that in younger women. We expected that in our mid-40s, but now with the abundant stressful exactly. lives we lead and have, you know, some of it, we've got a sort of Damocles hanging over our head now. So, I, you know, so it say, can be harder. Yeah. And I think what I was, what Dr. Zava was referring to is actually clinical changes that he sees in, in hormone changes. I think for most women, they're so busy in their 30s, they mm-hmm. don't notice the changes until they get to their 40s. Right. I would say that's what I've seen in my practice. I mean, I have a few women who come in their 30s who really are a mess, but more likely I've seen the more PMS, fatigue, maybe yeah. some thyroid issues. But true perimenopause... I would venture to say happens more at the late 30s, early 40s. And hopefully mid-40s. You yeah, can hopefully. get into your mid-40s before yeah. you start to, to experience fluctuations, which are inevitable. Yeah. That, that's not going to change. No. It's, the, it's the early onset. It's the precipitative, yeah. it's the drop. It's the spike in the drop in hormones that, that can be really aggravated or accentuated by um, a poor diet, lack of sleep, you know, um, and stress piling on that is unresolved or un- unaddressed. You know, a lot of people, I often say women are notorious for taking care of everybody but ourselves. Exactly. And we get into a place where we get exhausted and then we will suffer the symptoms longer. That 20 year mark mm-hmm. that Dr. Zava talked about isn't necessarily, you know, Jekyll and Hyde for all 20 years. We no. can take steps to get balanced and we know that we balance people every day. So perimenopause are those, you know, the late 30s, mid 40s, up to around 50 is when we look at the average age of menopause, which is defined officially as a lack of ovulation, no more periods at around the age of 51. Well, actually, not necessarily a lack of ovulation. Remember, it's lack of periods. Lack of periods. Right. Because that lack of ovulation is more that perimenopause, you know, irregular ovulation, right? Right. But in, in menopause, we're not ovulating anymore. No, but we, but the true definition of menopause is 12 months Just in a row. Just without a period. 12 months in a row, right. no period, looking Sequential back. Sequential months. Looking back. In yeah. a, 12 months in a row. So, so how, many, how many people do you see that come in and say, I skipped two periods, but then I had four. So they're not menopausal yet. They have to hit 12 months in a row. And that's an important point you just brought up because that's what to expect when you're expecting menopause, that part of that up and down is going to be exactly what you just said. You miss a period, you've got four in a row, you don't have one for two months, all over the map. Um, So 
you know, and then postmenopause, I think is important to just kind of make a distinction. I find that a bit confusing. Yeah. Menopause is that end of periods, but postmenopause are all those years that we have yet to live. And, you know, so isn't that what we would call, I mean, we're living in a state, uh, we are, menopause doesn't go away. We are menopausal for would, the rest yeah, of our lives. I actually have a, tr- I have trouble with the term postmenopausal. I do too. It's a funny term because really menopause means 12 months in a row, no periods. And mm-hmm. to me, it means beyond, you're not going to go back. So that's it, true. The only way, reason I ever use the word postmenopausal is when it comes to bleeding. When a woman has, I tell them, all of my patients over the years, if you've gone 12 months and no, no period, and then in a year from now you start having periods again, I need to investigate that because that could be pathological. It mm-hmm. may not be, but if it, but we have to rule that out. So I really don't think of women as being postmenopausal. I think of us, Candace, as being menopausal, and menopause mm-hmm. lasts until you die. I it's, like that better too. Yeah, don't you? I, I, I don't. But I just the other day, this woman said, "Am I in menopause? Am I postmenopause? What?" And I yeah. thought, "Oh, that term again." Or it's just so go. Confusing. Or just people say, "I just can't wait to get through menopause." Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we've talked about this before. What are you waiting for, the, the grave? I mean, you are now menopausal, right. and now you get to have... And there's so many fun things that we're going to talk about that women have said about the wisdom of menopause and the relief of menopause, actually, for many women. You no longer have to worry about birth control. You're not raising, most times, small children. So there's a lot of good in and value in being menopausal. And how nice not to have a period. Uh, yeah, yeah, hello. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when women tell me, oh, I just want us to keep having periods, I'm like, okay, how many women, if you really uh, ask them? Why? I mean, do you miss, so you and I grew up with mm. napkins and sanitary mm-hmm. belts, really not that much fun. Tampons <laughs> and the fear of toxic shock. And, oh my God, I know, and, and so much. So, yeah. and so now that we've defi- defined that, um, let's talk about some of the more common symptoms. My God, are there a lot of them? I mean, I, when I went through this, I thought, you know, you and I always think of hot flashes, night sweats, and not everybody has those, but mo- a lot of women do. A good do. 80% of women have them. And yeah. they, they pretty, they're pretty much representative of the ups and downs. Yes, I agree. The, the fluctuating hormones, the hot flashes and that. So who, who was it George Gilson said in his book, So You're in Menopause Now, So What? Or What Now? He says, you'll know you're in menopause when the sound of sweat dripping on the floor wakes you up at night. I know, now, so hopefully true. it's not that bad. God. <laughs> but, but, you know, so think about the things that we see that I say, people who are mood, moody, the emotional roller coaster. I mean, that's... The emotional cool. roller coaster, It's yeah. clearly up. And I, I mean, people come up to you, they say... One day I'm fine. The next day I'm ready to kill everybody in my family. You know, there you go. Mm-hmm. And, and lack of patience and insomnia. I mean, sleep. My God, sleep becomes like, uh, d- you know, you just crave it. Like I can't sleep like I used to sleep, right? There's every sort of variation on the sleep issues. And we have talked about sleep in a former episode. Didn't we do an episode on sleep? Yes. Um, but it, it sort of starts with not being able to fall asleep when you used to be yeah. able to, or waking up in the night and then not getting asleep. back to sleep. I'd say more common for me is, is women who have the can't stay asleep. Mm, I mean, you get, that's you, very common, You get yeah. to sleep and you wake up and you're like, it's and two o'clock. And you're wide awake. Wide awake and you can't figure out why I can't go back to sleep. Yeah. So and think And part hormones. of that is that nervous uh, stress, you know, the stress hormones not operating as well during these fluctuating 
fluctuating times also. They're sort of up and down at the same time. And so you're wide awake thinking, and worrying. Also, and also lack of progesterone, which yeah. helps you sleep. And also estrogen, I think estrogen deficiency always. I think estrogen mm -hmm. has a huge role in sleep. Because mm -hmm. uh, what happens to a lot of women, they get that sort of panic attack and then they wake up and they're hot and they're cold and they have the night sweats hot. Heart I mean, palpitations. Yeah, and they get woken up by all low that. estrogen things, right. So, I mean, in general, perimenopause symptoms are just those up and downs. You know, you feel up, you feel down, you do, you can't, you're completely unpredictable to yourself and your family and you oh just want to get to you. You want to get you back. You may also have UTIs, recurrent yes. urinary tract infection. You may not feel like sleep, uh, like having sex with your beloved partner. You'd rather delete emails, what do people tell me, or do anything. Yeah, but... And that can be related to both the vaginal pain and actually lack of libido. Yes. You yeah, know, both of those things. And then the irregular bleeding. How about that? I mean, people a mm. lot of times in perimenopause are having either no periods, irregular periods, or super heavy periods. Wouldn't you say that's sort of the three things that you see? Absolutely. And I think people are very, women are upset by that, especially oh, yeah. women that have had regular periods. I've always suddenly, been like clockwork, you know, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Now it's like, yeah, so, that's yeah. one of the more upsetting sorts of outcomes uh, of that. And then I see a lot of, oh boy, belly fat. And we've talked about that one before. Mm -hmm. so women who come in and say, I've never had a belly. And suddenly it's like, I can't, I have this little tire in my belly and I can't get, and I've done, I can't get rid of it. And I've done nothing different. Mm -hmm. So you hear that. Um, what about, um, women who say, I can't build muscle anymore. That's a big one. You know, I, I'm going to the gym, I'm doing the same things I've always done, and I just can't get that tone back. Because these are the times when we're not getting full-on optimal hormone production. No. So we're getting a lack of testosterone, we're getting a lack of progesterone, where, you know, all these hormones are... They're either up or down as in seesaws. Some are higher than others. One goes up, the other goes down. So right. you get sort of um, matching symptoms. But it's really helpful to know that where your hormones are, we always talk about testing. It's really helpful to know what is going on so you can understand it. Because I do think women feel clueless and overwhelmed and upset. Yeah, they in the beginning they, until they, they get it. Well, what's, I think that a lot of women begin to doubt themselves. It's like, what's wrong with me? Because maybe mm -hmm. they're friends. Some people, like some women have friends that do talk about these things, but I would say the majority of the women that I've seen over the years come in and they feel very lonely. They don't know who to turn to. They might ask a friend. They might ask their mom. And so often they're told, oh, it's menopause. You'll get through it, you know, kind of thing. It's so dismissive. They may have gone to another provider first. But if you're feeling, again, another common symptom, brain fog. Memory changes. You can't mm -hmm. remember. Can't remember shit, right? Mm -hmm. CRS. So you can't remember shit. You just have no ability to concentrate. You know the whole idea that women. I mean, in general, we talk about this a lot. Women are really good at multitasking. They juggle a lot of balls in the air. They have mm -hmm. kids. They have a job. They have we you know. Are good at that. And then they have a life at home. They're balancing their husband. They might be helping their husband's business. Suddenly, all the things they used to do are they seem overwhelming because they can't, they don't have that same attention span, the lack of estrogen, the lack, lack of focus. Lack of feeling easily distracted, feeling, crying at commercials, being oh my tearful. God. I know, right? And and kind of depressed. And, and a lot of these women get put on antidepressants. And we I'm, mentioned that before, you know, not realizing they're actually in menopause, but right. they're not really depressed. They're, they're having a hormonal imbalance that yep. could be, that could be rebalanced. Yeah, with a bit of lifestyle and and um, some nice uh, cocktails of bioidentical hormones and, if needed, and vitamins and herbs and all of that. So, what brings women to providers? That well, sort of thing. Well, I just want to looking add, for answers. I want to add a couple more symptoms before we moved on. I think we should think about um, breast tenderness. 
A lot yeah. of women get very tender breasts, um, and then also they get um, joint pain. Joint pain's a big one that people don't realize. You know how suddenly you'll see mm-hmm. a woman who'll say, "I just feel old. My my I'm, my elbows ache, my my feet ache. I just my back. Everything feels a little bit out of sort." You put them on bioidentical hormones, and all those aches and pains go away. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're related to a, an injury per se, but inflammation in their bodies. Um, but and then and the other thing you mentioned, I think we should always point out that's really important is palpitations. People get nervous, and they actually I had a friend that actually went to the ER. She had palpitations. She said, mm-hmm. "I think I'm having a heart attack." Yeah, and that could be so. so. I think there's just so many symptoms that women should go. Okay, if I'm having X, Y, Z, I should definitely think of a hormone imbalance before I think of running to the doctor and going on a medication. And it's for interesting it. to find out why you have these symptoms. For instance, a, a low a low testosterone, you're going to have aches and pains. Yep, you're going to have sore muscles. That's what testosterone is about. Beyond sex drive, it's it's about your structure, your stamina your strength. Yeah. So, you know, when you start to learn about what these hormones actually do, the functions that they have, the roles they play in the body, when we talk about menopause and finding relief, we think we start talking about taking hormones, but we're not just taking them for the relief. We're actually using them in small amounts, perhaps for the rest of our lives, seeing mm-hmm. as how we're living another third of our lives. And Dr. Zava mentioned that and he was he was saying women can use a small amount yes. that goldilocks amount of bioidentical hormone to take care of these health issues that are dependent upon the lack of hormone heart disease um, osteoporosis and and these are symptoms and disorders of menopause and dementia so beyond the perimenopause but into menopause yeah. these things kind of start to take they take root and they become a real problem. Well, it's funny. My husband and I were driving home from the beach yesterday, and he knows all the work that I do, and as, as your husband does too, but we were talking about menopause and why we even think about treating it. And he was saying, well, Kyle, is it a d- disease? And I said, no. If you think back, and this is a conversation that you and I have had many times, Candace, is that the average age of menopause is 51, like you just said. But 150 years ago, women didn't live much past 50, 55 years old. So so menopause would happen and then you died. But now we're all living sometimes 30, 40, 50 years beyond menopause. Another third of our lives. And so you have to think about what all those hormones do to protect your body. Like you said, it prevents bone density changes. It prevents cardiovascular changes. It prevents mm-hmm. dementia. So if you are, right. if you want to live a long, happy, healthy, like health span life, you have to think about replacing, restoring that hormone balance. I yeah. think that's important. It's so an important message. So we're protecting message. and we're preventing. Right, we're absolutely. Perfect, we're protecting the, the health of our reproductive organs that are still with us yeah. if we haven't had a hysterectomy. By the way, that's another... Um, official definition of menopause. If you have a total hysterectomy with removal of uterus and ovaries, you're you're catapulted into menopause overnight, basically. Yeah. And if you have just the removal of a uterus, which is a simple hysterectomy, you do have cessation of your menstrual flow, but right. you still have ovaries that are working. And so you're not truly menopausal, although by definition of no period, you are. So it get, that's what gets a little confusing for many women. They'll yes. say, so, uh-huh. right? So, but having, so when we say menopause equals 12 months in a row of no periods mm-hmm. or the removal of your ovaries, mm-hmm. truly just taking out your uterus doesn't usually put you into menopause. It can make it come a little faster sometimes, but it doesn't cause you to be in menopause. Yeah, that's, that's another confusing issue, as you said, because... Um, 
I remember uh, the consensus among some practitioners is that the ovaries, they're still there, but they're not as they're not working as optimally. In a few years, they've lost their uterine blood supply when the uterus has been removed. So that that's to be considered too, because you'll see low levels in women who've had, yeah, they'll I say, agree. well, I still have my ovaries, but, but five years down the road, 10 years down the road, it, we may not be making optimal amounts of hormone. Although I do see some women in some of the studies I've seen, because I probably see an older population than you do or mm -hmm. have over the last 30 years, um, is that some women are amazingly still high in testosterone mm -hmm. and even progesterone way past what I would normally see. And I don't even know what that's about. Those, the women are lucky. The majority may, of women Some are, of them may be fitter than others. Yeah. They may be working that lean muscle and, yeah, and keeping that testosterone boosted. But I, I agree know. with you. In general, when a woman's had a hysterectomy and has maintained her ovaries, I do see an acceleration of menopause. I can't mm -hmm. prove that because mm -hmm. I don't have anybody to compare her to, but it, it's younger than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. So like you said, what does bring women to their providers? All of the things we've mentioned. I mean, just lack of sleep, lack of feeling good about themselves, lack of confidence, right? What can I do? <laughs> what can I do yeah, to feel what, better? Am I crazy? What's yeah. going on? How do and, I lose weight? There's uh, weight issues we didn't even mention. Well, you mentioned belly fat, but overall weight where we're talking yeah. 20, 30, 40 pounds heavier than one is used to being. And sometimes that weight is comes on quickly. It does. It and can. it's very distressing for women. So it's what can I do? But I have to say... Apart from practitioners like you, Kyle, who have seen so many women and being a woman yourself and being a nurse practitioner, I, I can't imagine how many countless women you've helped. But so many women I talk to who are the older women I talk to say they can't get help from their doctor. Their doctor doesn't. That's still from the days when I first started ZRT, women would call in and say, my doctor tells me that I just need to be go back on birth control or take uh, an antidepressant. I know. And there is still, that's still the case um, with so too many doctors. So, um, you know, a lot of people take matters into their own hands. They, uh, but, but there are good answers for you and, and we're going to, we're going to get into them, but, um, yeah, so, so it's in, not a lost cause, believe me. So in general, <laughs> what I would say is that when a woman does go to a provider that may not be as functionally oriented as you and I are, they will get certain tests done and the test might, the first test might, if might be an FSH, which stands for follicle stimulating hormone. And that tells you where about in your journey of menopause you are. FSH should be low when you're young. And as, it, it's, as your ovaries begin to fail, they're not ovulating regularly, the FSH level goes up to a critical point where you say, oh, sounds like you're in menopause. So that's one test. A lot of doctors run serum tests of hormones like estradiol, testosterone, progesterone. Mm -hmm. Um, if a woman's having irregular bleeding, she might the person might order a pelvic ultrasound just to make sure there's no pathology like a fibroid or thickening of the lining. But in general, what I've seen people come to, like you said several times today, is that a lot of women get put on birth control pills. That's like no matter well, what the age, no matter it seems. what age, even like in yeah. the late 40s, early 50s, let's yeah, go on birth control pills. We'll control the bleeding. It'll make you feel better. And some women do feel better, but again, I don't think it's the optimal approach. Mm. I don't think if you, if it, I mean, in general, birth control pills have a lot of good um, uses for women who have like you know endometriosis. Sometimes it can help different kinds of irregular periods. But in general, when a woman's older, I would much rather roll back, you know, peel back the layers of the onion and figure out what is going on with this person. Let's do some testing. And you and I, our go-to is saliva testing in general. Mm -hmm. We combine it with some blood testing and other things. But 
peel back the onion layers, do the testing, and then figure out what does this woman need? Does she need help with her adrenals? Does she need help with her, you know, does she have low cortisol? I mean, low, does she have low progesterone, testosterone? And, as, and then be, begin to add supplements. And then we make her balanced again. And the, this is so important because you were mentioning testing FSH, which is just merely the pituitary signal to the right. ovaries to make hormones. So it's just telling us the signal's falling on deaf ears. If we don't measure the individual hormones, we can't really tell where you're at. And that opens up a world of information. And we can correlate those levels to your symptoms and then people feel like, okay, there's a reason. Now I understand. It's amazing. Um, so, you know, one of the things that when we were getting ready to do this episode today, it's fun. We have, I have a lot of stuff lying around that I've saved over mm-hmm. the years. I know you do too, but the, I mentioned before that I hung on to that um, Oprah issue from yes, two, yeah, just 2000, last year. Yeah, 2019. And About I'm so glad I, I, I carried around my little, my last few moves that I've made from the house to condo to, con, I mean, to apartment to condo. Mm-hmm. And she is an interesting gal. Oprah's amazing. You know, she's so wonderful in that she shares her stories with everybody. She talked about her own journey, she said, in, in, in her beginning of the magazine, she has that Here We Go segment, and she talked about how she couldn't at around 48 to 50 years old, and she's basically, I'm 67, she's, I think you're younger than me. Really? She, yeah. So she is, um, I watched her when I she turned 50. I didn't know she was even 65 yet. She yeah. looks so young. Yeah, she's great. But she said around 48 to 50, she said she couldn't sleep for two years. She had restlessness. She had mm. palpitations. She was feeling panicky. So she actually she went to see a cardiologist and wore a heart monitor. Now that's very typical, right? She wore nothing you know, for weeks. Nothing was found. She picked up a copy of *The Wisdom of Menopause* by Christiane Northrup, and she saw that the change was likely coming. But her docs didn't discuss this with her, so she felt very unprepared. This is Oprah. Oprah has knowledge at her fingertips. She has mm-hmm. every every possible resource and expert that she can call on. And so imagine the average woman doesn't have anybody to go to. So she said um, she couldn't even concentrate or she couldn't read. Now, Oprah, if you read her, you know, she's yeah. a huge reader. Yeah. She loves to share books. She loves to promote books, Oprah's book club. She couldn't read. So she said it became a chore. And that was one of her favorite things to do. So mm-hmm. she said also lost her vibrancy and she felt dulled. So she said that she went... Um, at some point, like I remember reading. Yeah, I yeah. remember reading at some point back in the day that Oprah had a hysterectomy. So she definitely does not have a uterus for whatever reason. She had that out. Probably, I'm going to jump in and, and guess. Maybe she had fibroids because that's very common with black women. They can have fibroids and cause irregular they bleeding. They actually have higher rates of, of uh, uterine fibroids. Right. So my guess is, but but she obviously still had her ovaries. Um, and a friend mentioned to her estrogen. So she started to use it. She must have gone to somebody. She used it in a cream form. And as she said, her world became technicolor again. And mm-hmm. she could sleep. So she's back to her love of reading and going places and having a, a good life, of course, before COVID. Mm-hmm. Her friend, on the other hand, Gail King, who's her best friend, mm-hmm. has opted not to go on hormones because of the controversy around them. But due to her commitment... Um, to Oprah's commitment to help other women, she devoted this whole article, a big article on menopause in this magazine. So what she, so she talked about her own journey, and then this other woman came in and wrote a piece called "The Agony and Yes, the Ecstasy of Menopause: A Different Kind of Coming of Age Story." Her name is Robin Morance Hennig. It's really a great piece. And it's full of personal anecdotes. And then she digs into some of the issues like we do around menopause. And here she describes some of the fears of women entering menopause. Quote, 
There are the hot flashes, the night sweats, the brain fog, the mood swings, the free-range rage, the bloating, the weight gain. Mm-hmm. And on top of those miseries is the lust uh, they're supposed to pretend of sexiness, of fertility, of the best and juiciest part of your life, of femininity. Oh, and if you take it far enough, your very womanness. You mm-hmm. become shriveled and uninteresting. The story, the story goes, goes. Yeah. A dried up barren uh, of just of your former self, an old hag that no one lusts after anymore, and then you'll die. Wow. <laughs> no wonder women are scared of going through menopause. But then she goes on to say, quote, you may also make a significant discovery, something grand and important. You might even call it the discovery of a lifetime, that menopause, far from being the tragic end of the best part of woman's existence, can actually be a threshold, a gateway, the passage to the you you've been waiting your whole life to become. So I love her mm-hmm. balanced approach to this. I mean, what we've talked about today is women are afraid. And they're not Mm -hmm. prepared. Oprah was afraid. She was not prepared. But then you find out that once you feel better, you feel amazing being menopause. Wouldn't you say that's true? Yeah, I'm thinking of the famous uh, anthropologist Margaret Mead, who coined the term PMZ, postmenopausal zest. <laughs> so she was using the postmenopause term, but I love but, it. Yeah, I mean that's what we come to discover. We come to discover that we get to, you know, have a whole new entry into this last stage of life. We don't have all the things that we don't have to take care of anymore. All it's like the, it's like a secret. All club. the reasons to say no. It's, it really um, is like a secret. Club. I feel like women who dread it are not informed, they're not educated. and That's why we need to talk about what to expect. Yeah, right. these things are going to happen, and, and yeah, your ovaries are going to pack their bags at some point, yep. and they're not going to be putting out optimal amounts, but what a comfort to not have to perform all the time. I know, you isn't know, that the it, truth? In, in, the, in your workplace, at home, in the bedroom, I mean, some women are loving sex again, some women could care less, you know, but but discovering new interests, discovering yeah. it's a it's a process of discovery and renewal. I, I did want to get back to that just for a moment about Oprah going on um, estrogen. Dr. Zava was talking about how estrogen, yeah, it turns on the light bulb and you feel like I'm alive yeah. again, but it super programs the brain. It's a very excitatory potent hormone. And it's always important to balance it with progesterone. I agree. I As, agree. Because our, our take with this testing and with balancing, if we are to use bioidenticals, is the BHRT model, bioidentical replacement therapy, as opposed to just HRT, right. is to mimic natural physiology. Mm-hmm. So whatever Great the point. body, you know, when you give a birth control pill to release, to relieve some symptoms, you, you're just really trying to mimic some of what the body was doing anyway. So why not use the natural occurrence? as natural as you can get. And luckily we do have these bioidentical hormones, but they, and they're made from plants and Mm -hmm. they're made in a lab. They are made in a lab, synthesized, Mm -hmm. but they have the exact molecular structure. Right. So they fit the the cells of the, the receptor sites where hormones do their thing at the cellular level and the target tissues. So very few side effects, uh, very little evidence uh, that there's any problem with appropriate use of right. b- bioidentical. So just just to make sure, because I know Oprah had a great show on. Also, she opened one time with it, it, the camera was right in her face, and she said, "You could be walking around with a hormone imbalance." Right, I remember if that. If you have these symptoms, remember, and it was like, mm-hmm. "Wow, shocking!" As she was really bringing it out, and and she interviewed a doctor. 
um, uh, who was, she showed the amounts that she was being prescribed that was way, way high amounts. And there was a lot of blowback to that. And I think um, Oprah got the, got the message that this has to be balanced and it needs to be in very small doses. I don't think she's got the message yet because it didn't talk about it here, but I do agree. You know, Oprah's, like many women, struggled with her weight for a very long time. Right. And the fact that she, it's a great point that you bring up, Candace, because I, the fact that she's just on estrogen now, I would love to find some way to... I hope to, she's not. I, I hope she, we can reach out to her somehow. We've tried to. Um, estrogen is made in fat cells. Yeah, we need to kind of get her on some progesterone. I wonder progesterone. If she's been tested. She probably hasn't been. Maybe we'll send her a kit. You know, this is what we wonder about all day. We hear these things and we think, wonder well, if she's been tested. I know, and you think about, you know, and then we'll talk about somebody else famous in a few minutes yeah. that we go, has a podcast that we love. But, mm-hmm. you know, so, she, you know, I think it's really important to say... To all women, and I have had so many women come in over the years who had a hysterectomy who come in just on estrogen. And, and we talked about this with Dr. Zava last time. A lot of them are getting some of these um, pharmaceutically grade um, sort of like these creams or these mists, and I test them, and their levels of estrogen are like six to ten high, times Way higher too high. than I want. All and the they're time. not on any progesterone. Yeah. They felt good for a while. Like you said, they felt stimulated and alive and good. And as David said, the same. And then what happens, you crash and you feel absolutely awful. And just just to hark back, you had, you know, we had in our notes why women are scared of menopause, that <laughs> referring back to Robin Hennig talking about you're going to lose your femininity, you're going to become a dried up, shriveled old hag. You know who used those words was back in the 60s, Dr. Robert Wilson, who wrote Feminine Forever. I know. And he was from Brooklyn and he was paid by Wyeth Arist, who was the big pharmaceutical (gasps) company. Yes, he was. He was on their payroll to go around the country using these words. If you don't use estrogen, you're going to become, he used the words shriveled. You're going to dry up. Your par- your family won't like you. Your husband won't want to spend time with you. You're going to lose your womanhood. But if you want to be feminine forever, you need estrogen. So overnight, millions of women started taking estrogen. And what happened? Ovarian cancer became a huge, it skyrocketed. Uterine um, cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uterine say. cancer, sorry. Yeah. But it was it was a, a shocking, and that's when the um, pharma industry started adding in synthetic progesterone. Right. progesterone. Unfortunately, synthetic progesterone called progestin, which is never distinguished clearly enough, never. and people get that confused. Progestin is a far cry, ladies, from progesterone, the right. hormone that our bodies make or that bioidentically is made to duplicate that. Progestin is one of the worst culprits. Well, think of it. It's sort of funny, just, just sitting here listening to you talk, I thought, remember how, with, I don't know if that you're, I'm a big baker, and I think about using like vanilla extract, and my mother used to buy the cheaper version, it was like synthetic vanilla extract, uh-huh. it's not even the same thing, it's awful, it tastes terrible, it smells terrible, and that, when you think about progesterone, progesterone, like you said, fits into our body's receptors perfectly, and it turns on the right biochemical pathways. When you put somebody on synthetic progestin, and again, that was two years, we keep we talk about this over and over ad nauseum, but people use the same, they, they throw those words around and, and they exchange them and they shouldn't. They're very, very different uh, molecules. Um, very, very different. Very different, but and I agree. actually, I think that the researchers have, have landed on progestin as being even worse than the synthetic estrogen in HRT, which yep. was in the Women's Health Initiative, we can't repeat it enough. It, there have been 
um, retrials of that, et cetera, but still significant warning about using the wrong doses and the wrong combinations. Yeah, and and to your point, um, back in the 60s when Robert Wilson was talking about the feminine forever thing, when women were put, so when women were feeling miserable, as as a lot of women were as then as now, hot flashes, night sweats, cranky, bitchy, whatever. What's the seven dwarves of menopause, Candace? I think it's um, okay. Bitchy. <laughs> I like the itchy, bitchy, sweaty, sleepy, flabby, crabby, and just plain psycho. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Does so that the, resonate, the, ladies? So that's the seven dwarves. Of so those. I'll put that ha- article in our show notes. I wrote an article about that that explains why the itchy, why that's the bitch. You so know, funny. But we, so they were feeling that way, and they were all thrown on Premarin, which was the main um, estrogen made by made by Wyeth. And but they weren't put on any kind of synthetic progestin at the time, and they many many women got because they were on what's called unopposed estrogen. Right, ended up with uterine cancer because it ended up causing too much stimulation of the uterine lining. We don't know what the heck it was doing to the breast. We have no idea. With no one studied that at that time, but too much estrogen, not a good thing. With no no counterpoint by the progesterone or progesterone, and they end up with uterine cancer. They, and when they were like a big oops, it was a big oops. A big, it was a skyrocketing oops. Um, yeah. and, and that was one of the things you asked Dr. Zava too, just harking back to that interview, because it, it was pretty technical at times, and I hope you know we can decipher some of that for you gals that listened. But we, you remember Kyle asked Dr. Zava about why, he call, why they call estrogen the angel of life, the angel of death. Right. And just as you're saying... Too much estrogen in a synthetic form was thickening that uterine lining, um, what we call hyperplasia, to a point where uterine cancer became a real risk. But that's what estrogen does. That's one of its angel it of it life. Grow. It makes the uterine lining grow. So it's not a bad thing that estrogen, in its in its role in the body, in its physiological role, is supposed to grow tissue, yep. just not out of control. Exactly. Tissue. And the and the, in some of my notes, I was I talked about his book as well. Well, and he taught Robert Wilson also said that um, he said that if women used estrogen, they would be young forever. And he even had yeah. those women continue to have periods five to seven times a year. Like, who wants that? He said that without ERT or estrogen replacement therapy, women would become sexual neuters and would suffer from serious, painful, crippling disease. His belief was that menopause should be cured. Yikes. So then what happened, I think, looking back at all these different articles and talking about people saying, the feminists came out and said, we don't want menopause to be considered to be a disease. Mm -hmm. We think menopause should be gone through Mm -hmm. naturally. Mm -hmm. Women shouldn't have to kowtow to the pharmaceutical company. So it was this big pushback telling women they shouldn't go on hormones. So women, there's always, it's like breastfeeding, you know, bottle milk, you know, it's like bottle feeding. It's like, what is the way to go? Women are always being buffeted around with all this information and feeling guilty. Don't you I think, think? I think we've come far though, since the, I mean, yeah, obviously oh, yeah. since the sixties and Dr. You know, the feminine forever book and, and all of that that ensued after the women's health initiative in 2002, millions of women just threw their their HRT in the in the toilet, and then and it was with their like, bras, and then burning the bras, and... along with the bras, and then it's like, what? So what do I do now? Here exactly. I am out in the cold, and what really was happening, and I was at that vantage point from a hormone testing lab perspective, where we're testing labs all over the country and the world. It was like women are flocking to us because they don't know what to do. They don't exactly. know who to, they're out in the cold. They don't know who to talk to, and at that time, there really weren't that many doctors. We have in the last twenty years 
gone from, you know, very few savvy doctors at testing hormones, even thinking about, is there such a thing as a hormone imbalance? Right. Prescribing one size fits all hormone therapy to everyone. Off the, off the shelf. Off the shelf. And so it, it, you know, so the backlash was don't use hormones. We can go natural to the findings of the Women's Health Initiative, increased heart disease, increased stroke, increased blood clots, increased breast cancer to, to realizing, oh, there's such a thing as a hormone imbalance. You can test your hormones and there are bioidentical hormones isn't that are made ama- from plants that European women have been using for decades. Isn't it amazing yeah. to think that you and I have been doing this work for 18, 20 years? We know this and yet mm-hmm. so many people don't know this. They're just And they still I mean there was a study where is that in France where most women do use bioidentical therapy and have been forever they did a huge breast cancer study do you remember the um, mm-hmm. that French cohort study we'll put it in it by Fournier of over 54,000 women a, over the age of 50 and it showed that um, estrogen and progestins and we're talking um, n- uh, bioidentical estrogen plus a synthetic progestin carried a huge breast cancer risk. Mm-hmm. But if you change that combination and studied natural progesterone or right. bioidentical along with a transdermal uh, patch or bioidentical estrogen, no such risk was incurred. It's amazing. And that is not a very, that's that's 2000. Five. And that's a balanced look at hormones. Um, and there are other studies, which I'll put in our show notes too, yeah. to help you feel a, a more encouraged women about using bioidenticals yeah, and then if needed. One more point of confusion, I think. So talk about, we're ta- we'll get to why women, here we are, we're talking about why women are so confused and we can see, we know why they are, is that there was, in the doctor, I read this book called Estrogen Matters. It's spelled O-E-S-T-R-O-G-N. The British way. The British way. Yeah. And it's by this doctor named Dr. Av. From blooming, and he goes through all the studies, and he talks about why estrogen. You can go on estrogen, and it, it shouldn't cause breast cancer if you balance it appropriate, just like we're talking about today. But somewhere in the early 2000s, he would try to, like Dr. Zava, he would go into places and try to help people be illuminate the, the topic with people, mm-hmm. so they wouldn't be afraid. And, and, these, and these are other doctors and other other researchers. And he ended up, Dr. Susan Love, who's a big name in breast cancer. Um, issues she was observed she was he was doing a debate with her and he and she and he tried to explain to her why it was so important for women to go on hormones and and good hormones and and for balanced hormones for all the things we had talked about the prevention of osteoporosis dementia cardiac disease and so she, after she listened to him she was observed saying um, that she objected to menopause being labeled a disease again and that those who supported taking hormones for treatment um, she felt that she you shouldn't you shouldn't take them because it wasn't a disease. And she also felt this is so funny. She felt that women in general had a tumultuous time between puberty and menopause, and that only after menopause, when women were no longer with hormones, could they emerge like Golda Meir, Eleanor Roosevelt, or Indira Gandhi emerged. She felt that women prior to menopause suffered from estrogen poisoning. So that's uh-huh. like saying that women in their mm. in the prime of their life are mm-hmm. getting a bad deal. And mm-hmm. I think if you talk to most women, they feel great during that time period. They feel mm-hmm. optimally between puberty and then the onset of menopause. And it's after menopause that they feel terrible. So I don't like her ideas. And I feel it's, it, she has a lot of influence in the world. Unfortunately, a lot of women probably were influenced by that 
probably felt afraid and or just like they were giving in by taking hormones. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, actually. Right? I mean, I, I think that you would want to, after that debacle, you would want to say, why do I need, this is a natural process in life. Yeah. And so to that point, why do we, why should we consider you know, we talked about how women didn't live past the age of 50 100 years ago, and now we're living to be 80, 90. Um, you know, Dr. Zava was saying, oh, your bones go, your yeah, brain that's why. goes, that's your why. heart goes. Your, and Skin I thought, goes. God, that sounds so negative. But but he was meaning without top, think of it as topping up. Yes. You know, think of it as how many amino acids are there? Nine or 10, 11 amino acids our bodies don't make naturally. So we eat protein. Yeah. To, to get them. We take in certain nutrients so that we can provide our bodies with what we can't naturally make. When we get to the place where we can't make this stuff anymore, yeah. it's not just about relieving hot flashes. It's about protecting our heart and it's, our and brain I, and our bones. Again, so that's why. Again, like I was talking to my husband yesterday, we had this big, it was really a fun debate. And we're talking about, you know, in general, if somebody has diabetes, it's usually an age onset thing. There's mo- a lot of diabetes. There's some juvenile onset, but in general, a- mm. diabetes ha- happens with age, mm. and you treat it. Mm-hmm. Hypothyroidism tends to happen when you're older. You know, uh, cardiovascular disease happens when you're older, and you treat those things. Same thing with lack of hormones. Our hormones are going away. Why would we not? treat those things first and prevent some of those other diseases from happening. That's an interesting point too that reminds me of Dr. John Lee who wrote the book about what your doctor may not tell you about menopause. He was one of those gurus in the early days, mm-hmm. pioneer of natural using, you know, as natural as you can hormone replacement, but in his practice in Mill Valley that had the highest rate of breast cancer in the country, he was giving HRT, and he went and studied in England and came back um, convinced that bioidenticals were would work. But what he had observed in his practice was that it was the perimenopausal women that showed that started to have thyroid issues. Mm-hmm. It that thyroid issues started to show up at that period. Lack of progesterone. The, 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 the lack of progesterone, the mm-hmm. fluctuating hormones, the high stress hormones that take over in the you know they take up that space when the others start to plummet. And he he realized that this is an underlying imbalance. So mm-hmm. to to look to that first is awfully important. If you're gaining weight and you feel lethargic and your libido's down and your skin is dry, these are overlapping symptoms of thyroid issues that seem to be thyroid issues, but could be dependent on an underlying hormone imbalance, especially estrogen dominance, because I estrogen so dominance actually blocks. You know, it has binding proteins that block that conversion to active thyroid hormone. Yes, too much and we'd love to have Dr. Z come back and talk to us more about that. It's actually got a name called functional hypothyroidism, which means, hey, your, th- your thyroid's healthy. It's functioning. It's just that we too much estrogen. There's an underlying enough. imbalance yes. that is thwarting it's it. it. So, so that's another, you know, point in all of this. Don't rush to treat things before you get to the fundamentals. Right. Go back, test, like what we, all, we always recommend go back and do a full saliva test panel, which includes measuring your estradiol, your progesterone, your testosterone, your DHEA, which is a a really important adrenal hormone, and your four cortisols. If you get to measure those eight hormones, 
it gives you so much information and helps your provider, who hopefully will be educated on this type of treatment, to balance you again. And and then maybe, like Candace said, you won't need to be on medication for your thyroid. You won't need to be on medication for diabetes because now you've corrected your, your imbalance in your weight, your insulin resistance. All those things will come back into place. So it's really a holistic approach. And to, we have in one of our 10 essential truths, um, don't, you know, Tests don't guess. Right. It looks really, and if you go to a doctor who tries to put you on hormone without testing your levels first, I would walk away. Yeah, that's I would a too. Real, that's a wake-up call. You do not want to... That's where you see women with really high levels in their in their tissue, in their test results. Because they're no making assumptions. Ever... Yeah, most, most people assume that women are low in estrogen when they're having hot flesh and night sweats, and it may just be that they're low in progesterone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a previous episode, we talked about how... Why is it so hard for women to find providers? And we talked about that article from AARP, and this came up again in this article in, uh, I think this was in the Oprah magazine. This may have been another article I was looking at. But um, there was actually, thank God there are people who pay attention and do something about it. Because back in the 90s, there was a doctor, uh, Sherry Sherman. She's an endocrinologist with the National Institute on Aging. And she Mm. recognized that there was a huge shortage of scientific data for midlife women and their issues. So there was nothing out there. Like what what we're talking about, there was just not enough information. It was mostly geared towards men and and maybe younger people, but it wasn't geared towards this. So she organized a conference at the National Institutes of Health and she helped to found what's called the SWAN. It's a study of women across the nation. That organization is now in its 24th year and this has helped to produce almost five hundred journal articles about women in perimenopause and menopause. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of a wonderful way to get women and providers also educated. But then there was um, a couple of doctors from OB-GYNs, female OB-GYNs from Johns Hopkins, who were starting to see, my God, we don't have enough providers who are being educated about menopause. And we talked about this in that one episode a while back. So they went around the country and found that most, most ob GYN residents were feeling like they were underprepared, they had no information, that their all their courses in, in endocrinology and, and midlife and menopause were electives, and they were choosing to go into some of the more lucrative uh, channels of right. OB-GYN, like surgery and obstetrics. Mm. And so menopause is considered to be a low-money producer. It takes a lot of time to sit with women and figure out what's going on. So they would, because it was elective, they were kind of being funneled one direction. And these women came along and said, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. We have a lot of issues here, folks. <laughs> and they started to introduce the, the all this education. So we, we, there is hope that more and more educators are being educated. I mean, more and more um, doctors are being educated about menopause. Because we talked about, go to your primary care doctor your, or your internist. If an OBGYN doesn't know about menopause, which is women's health, how do you expect your PCP to know? They have so much to know. Yeah. So, And you know, NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, which has been very conservative in the past, yes. has really come around they have. To, to actually suggesting that um, bioidentical hormones, especially transdermally delivered in terms of estrogen, could be very helpful in creating a better risk versus benefit versus risk profile. Oh yeah, in women users of hormones, and that's that's a huge that's a sea change because you know natural hormones or plant based hormones don't get the same kind of patent and profit for their makers that 
that the um, pharmaceutical synthetic versions do. So and you're saying NEMS is actually coming out in favor? They of... have. I, I wrote uh, the, some years ago. They came wow. out with a that's preference, huge. a preference for transdermal. Oh, delivery. transdermal, not plant-based. And that's another right, yeah. important part of the discussion when you when you are in menopause and you're looking for relief, and if testing determines that you have imbalances that could happily be supplemented. You might have to experiment a bit with how you supplement because yeah. there are creams and there are transdermal patches and there are gels trochies. and there are trochies under the tongue and Suppos- there are vaginal suppositories. Suppositories and some people are using uh, pellets, um, you know, and we all have had different feedback from patients and clients that have tried different things and are kind of despairing. Why do I, you know, I felt great at first and now I feel horrible. Right. Right. Or this isn't working, by the way, and you're looking at a test report and the levels are way too high or way too low or something. So, you know, know that you may have to experiment a bit yeah, and, and try and what works best for you. And in, in general, as a provider, I've always steered people away from, as much as possible, oral estrogen. I always go to a transdermal yeah. approach because going through the skin does not increase your... Um, your propensity to form blood clots, whereas you take an oral mm-hmm. estrogen, which is why women were not allowed to take oral contraceptives after the age of 40, especially if you're a smoker, because mm-hmm. your risk of blood clot was too high. Now, same thing with you're an older woman. So why why take any risk with forming a blood clot? If you have transdermal estrogen, even when people who've had strokes can be on transdermal estrogen. So it's a really a, a great deal. And then oral testosterone was pretty much taken off the market. Yeah. So it's only usually through a cream or... And it, I'm not a big fan of pellets myself. I mean, pellets are used haven't you had some patients that have come to yeah. you feeling over the edge? I feel as though pellets are, you know, they put them in your body. If it's the wrong dose, they're Good in your luck. body. There's I nothing know. you can do about it. I much, I'm much more of the kind of person that says, you know, your body makes hormones every day. It makes a certain amount physiologic, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make the same amount every day. So putting a, a pellet in somebody is you can't remove it. So if they're not doing well, oh dear. Or you, the people will feel amazing. It's like compared to meth, they'll never get that same high again because it's it's like that ultimate high. And, and, and then never, it goes down, down, go, down, down until down, you down. come to the end and Crashing. you are absolutely crashed. So I, I like the idea yeah. of a daily approach or a patch that's a constant delivery system. But again, like, like Candace said, this is a bit of art and a bit of science. It is, and absolutely. So you, and you really have to massage. Some people are easy, and they put them on something, and they feel great right away. Other people, it's really a, it's a it's a it's a um, kind of like cooking. You know, you're kind of playing around with the recipe until you get the recipe right. Yeah, and I would, I I would also. Um, Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Isn't that very menopausal? It was probably amazing. Um, no, it, no, I'm sure it was. It was another point about. Oh, I know what it was. Um, doesn't this make you feel at home, ladies? See, yep, we, are, see. we aren't all. There goes that. We little, aren't all sharp goes that all day bu- long. That little thought bubble. <laughs> there goes Where did that. it go? Yeah. Why did I come into this room? Um, once you know, just just to mention that if and when you are on hormones, bioidentical hormones. And in Michelle Obama's uh, podcast, you're going to mention, um, she talked about hormones, but she didn't distinguish. She and her guests didn't distinguish between, she said, we're on hormones. It's like, I hope you're not on synthetic uh, horse urine hormones. But um, point being, if you are, you want to monitor those hormones and you don't, meaning you need to test to see how that hormone is working for you so Mm -hmm. that you know that it's not getting, it's not too hot. It's, it's very helpful to a provider to be able to adjust the dose because you may, again, back to the experimentation, you're trying to get to the sweet 
spot well, where your called- levels are good, your symptoms are relieved, you feel strong and you feel good in yourself. You're looking and feeling good for your age and you need to monitor those levels pretty much in saliva, I have to say, because there's a lot of science around this and it's confusing, but topical hormones don't show up in a blood test. No, they when don't. When you deliver a hormone topically through the skin, trans, which is a great way to deliver it because it, it bypasses the, the liver mm-hmm. and the gut. So you get, you can use a lower dose to be an effective dose. So keep in mind, if you're monitoring hormone levels, you want to know, am I on the right amount? Am I yeah. on too much? Use saliva so that you get the, you get the real bioavailable active picture. And, and, and like Candace said, I think it's important to know if that they're working correctly. When I'm managing somebody's thyroid condition, I'm constantly checking their thyroid. At least once a year, I'm going to measure their levels. And every time I change yeah. their dose... Every time I change their dose, I have them do another test in about six to eight weeks to see, did I get that right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I'm doing it right. I'm increasing their dose by like 20 25%. But some people, their their levels just don't respond or they over-respond. And, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's you're talking about physiology here. You're talking about homeostasis. The body has a very yes. narrow window that it likes to operate in. Like when you measure levels of potassium or magnesium, if, if you go outside that norm, people can die or they can be, feel horrible. So in, in we're hormones, talking about trace amounts, talking, yeah, small, small, small amounts. And we just, small amounts, Delivered big in result, a steady state if big possible. Big results, big results. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Um, well, you mentioned Michelle Obama, one of our favorite <laughs> ladies. She has a new podcast out and someone told me about it. So and we want to be guests on her podcast. We, so we, and we want to have her. Let, let her know, guys, that we want to be on her podcast. We want to send her a saliva test kit too. And, yeah. So she has this episode's podcast out. And it's all about women and, and talking about women. And she's in her third episode, she actually sat with one of her really close friends um, who's an OBGYN named Dr. Sharon Malone. And they were riffing back and forth on these topics, going back and forth. And they both admitted to that, you know, to each other that their both symptoms led them to taking hormones. And how, again, how ill-prepared most women are about this process, even though Michelle has an amazing relationship with her mother. Her mother even lived with her in the White House. Yeah. She shares how little her mother told her about anything to do with her health. She's like, oh, my mother? No, she said she was fine. She went right through it. She goes, I wish I had my dad was still alive and I could yeah. ask him because uh-huh. I bet that wasn't true. But she said her mother sort of minimized it. And But they both laughed about the choice of either killing someone or taking hormones. <laughs> And she described, yeah. Michelle describes trying to maintain while in a suit, getting ready, like with oh, her, putting her so hose funny. on, yeah. her, her heels. She's getting ready to go do a public event, and all of a sudden she gets a horrible hot flash. And w- ladies, if you've had one, you know, I know, Candace knows, it's the worst. She b- just wants to rip everything off. But she's, you know, she's Michelle Obama. She's got to go out in public, and she's got to <laughs> speak lights on the whole bit. Right Think on. about it. And she said, the funny thing was, there were so many high-powered women in the White House, Susan Rice, all these women running around in the White House, they were all going through the same things. It said at times Barack was just <laughs> surrounded by these women going, what's going on? Like, why is everybody taking their clothes on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he didn't mind. But yeah, I mean, that's exactly what, that, that's really one of the first things women talk about are the hot flashes and the night I sweats. I think so too. I think, and then the sleep. And But it is, it's just so, well, I, I said in our last interview with Dr. Zava, the only time a hot flash is good is when you get hired for a job because you had a hot flash. Because in my case, he was looking for somebody <laughs> that had had a hot flash and knew what we were talking about here. Oh, I know. It's but, so... you know, these are not, in, you know, I was having one every 20 minutes. Oh my God, it's the worst. And, and so that, ladies, is not, 
not that's not normal. And that no. and, and when you have mood swings in between and all those things that are very common to menopause, you you don't want to you, you can't really live with that. That's not you. And and there is, you know, there there are things we can do and actually um I had some we Kyle and I did a, a great little webinar, which I think is still on ZRT Labs website about the good menopause. Yes, I remember. You remember that. we oh, had? A, it's probably still there. It's coming back to me. Yeah, ZRTLab.com. <laughs> you can probably find it. But we were talking about top ten tips for a good menopause. We were talking about menopause in general. Yeah. But number one, we said determine your own symptoms of hormone imbalance. So we've talked a bit about the symptoms. I think you all know what they are. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, you know, just being turning your life upside down. Everything that you were, you're not now. Um, but, you know, uh, test and then testing to confirm that those yes. symptoms actually are representative of a true imbalance between specific hormones that are going to wreak havoc in your moods and your memory and your weight and your libido and, and, and all of that. Um, and then if testing identifies imbalances that require hormone and therapy, we want you to insist on bioidentical hormones. Absolutely. Don't Amen. We? Yeah. We don't want you to settle for a synthetics because we know... That synthetics have their share of problems, and bioidentical are just better. They're more tailored to you. You have doses that are more specific to you, and like Candace said, they're from natural sources, and they most of them bypass the liver. You're going to have better results. Yeah, because hormones need to be metabolized. The yeah, liver has do. to metabolize mm-hmm. every single thing, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, and agree. so that's where you know we we do talk to women about using DIM, which is do you do you recommend? Oh, DIM? totally. DIM is the extract of cruciferous vegetables like you know broccoli cauliflower, cabbage. And what it does is there's two main ways that estrogen gets metabolized in your body. One way leads to an increased risk possibly of getting certain cancers like breast cancer. And the other way, mm-hmm. it clears it down a more... The good pathway. The good pathway yeah. versus the bad pathway. So DIM helps your body metabolize that. And speaking of, a lot of women don't go on hormones because they're afraid of breast cancer. We'll bring Dr. Zava back on this, but in essentially what we know is that being on a balanced approach to, and Dr. Zava talked about this last time in women in perimenopause, that he saw that a higher risk of breast cancer were women who had low progesterone and also um, yeah. Yeah, and high cortisol at night. So we really know that there are hormonal imbalance that can lead to an increased risk of breast cancer. And most women who get breast cancer were not on hormones at the time they got it. And most women who get breast cancer when they're on hormones actually have a better prognosis. There's tons of tons of studies on this. I think it's interesting because he we saw profiles. It was generally a low progesterone, so estrogen becomes dominant, growing those breast cancer cells. Right. Um, a high testosterone because it can because it can uh, because it can what's called aromatase or trans it can become uh, more turns estrogen into estrogen. Women who have like converted, polycystic yeah. ovarian syndrome who tend a lot of many of those women tend to be heavier. They have high levels of testosterone. The cortisol have, you're talking about at night, high night cortisol and also elevated flatline, what he what he calls flatline cortisol, mm-hmm. but at a higher level so that your cortisol doesn't go through that curve that we like to see highest right. in the morning, dropping gradually the lowest point at night. Some people have cortisol just flat lines all the way across, so they're elevated yeah, and that, all and, the while. And, what, and one of the things that cortisol does is it, it suppresses your immune system. If, exactly. it, if it's too much, too high all the time, so that's going to 
that's going to help. I'm not going to help your body fight a cancer. So again, to test those now in COVID times, isn't it? Oh yeah. So thinking about it. So the fear, the biggest fear that women bring to me, and I'm sure you hear it too, Candice, is that they don't want to go to homes because they've heard about breast cancer risk. But what we know is Mm. I always talk to people about all the benefits of hormones, like we talked about longer, you know, I think this one book, Estrogen Management, I've read this before, that women on hormones, bioidentical hormones, live an average of three to four years longer than women not on them. They have less cardiovascular disease, less less osteoporosis, less dementia, better quality life, probably happier husbands and happier family. But that's, you know, that's another risk, another reason to be on them. But seriously, I tell people, and more women die of heart disease, half a million die of heart disease-related conditions in our country, 40,000 die in our country of breast cancer. So you really have to weigh out what's your risk and what's more Mm -hmm. important to you. Mm -hmm. I will make sure to put in the show notes studies that show the protective benefits of progesterone. Absolutely. There are some good studies out there. Many of them are European studies, which are overlooked by big pharma in this country and shouldn't be. Mm -mm. Um, So, you know, take heart that, you know, there are those... Yeah, there are those approaches that that bioidentical that fits like a key into the lock of that cell, just a perfect fit. We're kind of snobby sometimes in our country. We we overlook those studies that are so we important. Do. We really do. Yeah. It's not good. No. So I think um, anything else you want to? I mean, there's some. There's a great quote that Sharon Malone talked about in Michelle Obama. Um, podcast and I really wanted to say that it's it's yeah. funny about we we've framed menopause we're hoping that you see it as more of a positive change as opposed to a negative change and that it does bring light to your life not just darkness and there's hope I think we've experienced that yeah, as individuals totally. and met many many women we've worked with that have also experienced and they're it. happy so she says you know because it's a lot harder than it looks but you know I look at it now and I think about it and I say hmm for the first time um, I'm not ha- we're not having to accommodate other people. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's how women should really look at menopause. Don't think it. Don't think it as the end of things. It's the beginning of things. It's the beginning of your new chapter. Or as I like to call it, we're entering our third trimester, you know, of life. And I love that thought because it's sort of like we're reading that book. Um, what is it called? Um, uh, women Rowing North. Women Rowing North, the one I gave yeah, you. By it, Mary Pipfer. Yeah, it's it's. We have to give ourselves permission. We've done all this work in our lives of raising a family, exploring our careers, you know, whatever it is, maybe volunteering. Making ourselves available to everyone and everything. and Never saying no. And it's time to say yes, but yes to us. Mm -hmm. And menopause gives us that opportunity. We're not worried about birth control. We're not worried about, you know, raising small kids again. We're not worried about, we're sort of reaching that point in our career that maybe we're we're sort of coasting a little bit. Mm -hmm. By the way... My official day of retirement is in a few days. I've been a nurse practitioner for 32 years, a nurse for 37. So I'm going out with a bang. I decided to go out on a high note. I'm still going to be doing consults, but only through the website. And so I just want to give a plug for that. I'll probably be set up by October 1st. I've seen a lot of women for a long time. Um, through uh, You can email me through the About Kyle and About Candice at kylebmcavoy uh, at gmail.com. Candace is going to plug hers, uh, can, her consults as well. Both of us do are willing to do some consults. We love helping women. We want to help each of you feel better. If you can't find a provider in your area, we have a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. So mm-hmm. we have a lot to offer. And these tests, the, the tests 
are, you know, mail, we can mail them to you. They're very easily, they're done at home anyway, because we need you to collect your saliva the first thing you wake up in the morning. So this is all something that we need to, we can send you the kit. We get the results. We interpret them in my practice, yourhormonebalance.com. You can find me online. Um, we we get the test results and we interpret them on the phone. So right. I talk to people and I'm sure Kyle will be doing that also outside to a certain extent. We can talk to you, we can interpret, we can explain. And half the time people go, okay, now I know what's happening. And, and now I you- know there are steps I can take to feel better and that there's a reason for this. And menopause is inevitable, but menopause can be grand. Yeah, we can give you um, things to take to your provider to give them we ideas. We can do that too, yeah. And I think that, yeah, I mean, during the COVID, what happened at our clinic was um, we shut down seeing patients in person. So all of my consults were telehealth visits, That's right. which was so easy to do. And the mm-hmm. Zoom call, whatever you want to do, or now people are doing Skype. It, it has opened up a whole new way of doing medicine. Most people don't need to be seen unless you have some kind of medical problem. You need to do an exam on you. But this hormone stuff, we can do it over the phone. We can do it on a Skype call. We can do it on a Zoom call. It's pretty basic. And if you need additional care, then you go see your provider. But like Candace said, all of this can be done remotely. I've done Zoom calls with people in Hong Kong and yeah. Switzerland and all over the place. And it's it's just so... So very doable. Some of the uh, hormones that may be needed, especially in women just in their 40s who aren't in menopause yet, you can use, a, you know, really high quality over the counter progesterone exactly. creams. It doesn't have. Not everything needs to to be prescribed. And if you do need prescribing, we each of us can refer you yes. to to someone who can prescribe, and we can give you tips about what kind of prescribing you're looking for. What are the delivery systems? What are the doses that are physiologic? Um, Yes. And and also then there are so many wonderful herbs like like oh, the dim yeah. we talked about like chasteberry vitex um, so many things adrenal support which is all about adaptogenic herbs that support the adrenals and B complex that's available in any good health food store and the adrenals oh. are huge for supporting when you're in menopause so so hopefully we've stirred up a lot in this yeah, conversation lots today. to think about lots there. to think about so I mean also I I know it must be frustrating for many um, listeners to go well now what do I do but now we want want you to know that this podcast has been an act, you know, sort of a, a, a love, what do you want to call it? A, a love act for us. Yeah. And now here we are saying that on our website, we will actually have, you know, an action plan for you if you do want to pursue further, like if you want to talk to us or if we can point you in the right direction, whatever works for you, but we're here for you. And that's the fun part of what we're doing. And there are plenty of people like us out there, but not enough. So Not we're, enough. We're, and and you know, like I said, I guess there aren't even enough menopause podcasts out there. No. So, so we're, we're talking about all these issues all the time. So pass it on, share it with your friends. A lot of women we've talked to say they're loving this conversation. Yep. And they are sharing it with their friends. And we'd love to hear from you. Yes. What kinds of topics you would we'd like to talk about adrenal health and testosterone and libido and all kinds of things in the works, but we want to hear from you. What are your big concerns and yeah. issues and yeah. we'll tackle it. Because we're, we're coming from a point of view that of our own concerns and of all the what we hear every day, but there's always somebody out there that says, but I have a question that maybe we haven't heard yet. So please, please, please look at our website. It's called womentalkingfrankly.com. Look on the page of, about Kyle and about Candace, and it has our email addresses. Email us and say, you know, I want to know about this. And, you know, I have this issue. We're happy to answer that. Both me, I'm retired now, so I'm going to be having more time <laughs> other than paddleboarding, playing tennis, playing golf, and all the other things I like to all do. All the other things she does. <laughs> 
Also, keep in mind the show notes are chock full of resources they for are. you. So every study we mention, every article, they will be in there and you can do, if you love to read and research, they'll be in there for you as well. Absolutely. So Candace, we always like to close with one of our 10 essentials. Right. What do you think that today is the, the most important? Well, you could pick a few if you want to. We don't have, we're not limited to one. I actually didn't have our list in front of us. Oh, I know I that definitely one is test, don't guess, don't oh. allow anyone to prescribe hormones to you if you haven't been tested. Oh, I thought I handed you my list. Um, Did I not hand you to my list? Well, yeah, definitely. And that one is, um, if you know, if you think you have a hormone imbalance, get tested, right? And that mm-hmm. all the other one I love is um, the one that says you're not just doing this for uh, symptoms. You're doing this for health and longevity. That's yeah. a really important one too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, a couple of funny little jokes here. I thought before we'd end with this, I said, I love this one. It says, um, these are like midlife Funny, it says midlife is when you go for a mammogram and you realize this is the only time someone will ask you to appear topless. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I love this one. Midlife is when you want to grab every firm, young, lovely in a tube top and scream, listen, honey, even the <laughs> Roman Empire fell and those will too. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And then there's Phyllis Diller's, you know, at this age, my back goes out more often than I do. <laughs> And I like this one, too. It says, uh, midlife means that you become more reflective. You start pondering the big questions. What is life? Why am I here? How much healthy choice ice cream can I eat before it's no longer a healthy choice? (laughs) Oh, my God. And so it goes. And so it goes. So So to be continued, huh? To be continued. Another good conversation with the gals. Thank you. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon, and we'll have some more fun topics for all of you to listen to. Happy menopause. Love you all. Take care. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Women Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love. Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch.